0: Heavenly Father, we um, we take time out of our otherwise busy
1: schedules, not because we don't have other things to do, but because there's really nothing else more important um, than to take time to sit at your feet and, and to listen to what you say through your word. And I thank you for this privilege to do that this morning. And, and I, I just feel like more of a, a tour guide than than the one with the answers and and um, and that, I think that's way it ought to be Lord and, and and so as Larry says all the time we're here to learn together we're here to grow together and I pray that you would accomplish what you want through your Word in our hearts this morning for your glory and your pleasure we pray this in Jesus name Amen, Amen. <clears throat> all right John twelve remember uh, dividing we're kind of dividing. John up into two parts, kind of like Romans. Romans has two major sections. Uh, First was the the theology or the the doctrine, if you will. Uh, That's chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, and then 12 through 16 was the application. How does it apply all this gospel that Paul's talking about, and then how do I apply it starting in chapter 12? John is kind of similar in in that there's two major sections. Uh, You know, I was going to say coincidentally, but actually Romans is 1 through 11. John is 1 through 12, okay? 1 through 12 is basically that that section of chapters is Jesus's public ministry, okay? Uh, and I said that in the opening, and, and as I was going through preparing these notes, I discovered something interesting is, of course, I'm not the only one to notice that, and so scholars throughout... Um, Time, uh, biblical scholars have called that first section in John the Book of Signs. That's kind of how it's popularly I didn't know that, but it's there in your notes. And, and so we're in chapter 12 and we're wrapping up chapter 12, right? Uh, remember that this chapter uh, started with um, Mary, um, the story of Mary anointing the feet of, of Jesus. Um, but we're at Praise Mill um, we were uh, uh, Josh Boyce down there, Bice, jo- Josh the pastor was is preaching through Luke and he he got to that section there where it talks about the Jesus's invitation to the Pharisee, home of the Pharisee and that that woman comes in and is weeping, remember and she anoints his feet with with perfume and, and so on. so <clears throat> we got back later and we we're talking about it and if, Remember that when we were going through this, in those notes, I actually referenced that because they're two different stories. They're two different women, different circumstances, although there are a lot of similarities between them. There are enough differences to where it's clear it's not a parallel account. It's a different story. So anyway, um, the, the night before his triumph, what, what we know popularly as his triumphal entry, is the story of, of Mary doing this, right? And we learn from the other gospel accounts as well, Matthew, Mark, that this was sort of the the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. Okay? Seems to, pretty clear that you know, he saw that as an opportunity to get some of the money. And even John mentions that he used to steal from the purse, right? He would carry the common purse around and he would take his money from that. And so, um anyway, but John's John's not so much interested in focusing on that part of it as he is to 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 tell us who it is. And then here's here's the thing that John's, when you put all these accounts together, it's in the home of a man called Simon the leper. Okay? Simon the leper evidently was a wealthy man who had had leprosy. He doesn't have it now, right? Because they wouldn't gather in his home. All right uh, to do it so we can pretty safely assume that jesus healed him likely right and so this isn't this is all happening in bethany which is basically a wealthy suburb of jerusalem just like today we were down in atlanta you know and you go to downtown you got the big town the bustling thing but you know uh if you know anything about atlanta the the, the expensive neighborhood there's a number there's several of them ex- around the perimeter but the big one is is anybody now.
0: Buckhead. Buckhead. Buck- Buck- north Buckhead of town. Right. Right.
1: If you ever go through Buckhead, it's you'll the see The Georgian. You old... didn't no, believe. That's yeah. not in Buckhead.
2: I know, but it's pretty
1: posh. So we cold. were looking at nice neighborhoods. <coughs> <laughs> this is fresh. The <laughs> Bethany is like that. It's only two miles away, but it's outside of town, you know, away from the hustle bustle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and pretty wealthy. And so Simon is there. Uh, that's also the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? And... And, they, and Simon has this big dinner in honor of Jesus. And he invites Lazarus there. And, and imagine coming to a dinner where Jesus and Lazarus are there, right there. And there's a conversation over the dinner table, right? There's a lot of people there. And they're very excited. And that kind of builds up. That must have been a special memory in John's mind, too, I think. I think that was a special time. Um, but the, that's the night before. The next day, they get on And the Lord Commissions two disciples, they get on the donkey and they ride in, he rides in Jerusalem, right? And we talked about all of that and how he wept when he crested the hill uh, coming up that rise into Jerusalem and he sees them and he weeps over the city, right? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have you gathered people, like the end gathers chicks, and the, you, you who stoned the prophets. And, and uh, You didn't, you missed, here's the key phrase, you missed the day of your visitation, your Messiah. Okay. And John makes a point of that because here in our section, now he's going to review back over the public ministry of Jesus in general. And he's, he's, he's going to address in our notes here, this burning question, how could they miss the day of visitation? How could they miss the Messiah? Right? I mean, the whole hope of Israel, every everybody who is a self-respecting Jew of any stripe would would long for the day when the Messiah would come, right?
0: It's the most important day on their future calendar. Mm-hmm. there's no close second, yeah. right? So how did they miss it? And John is answering that question.
1: <clears throat> what we're gonna do, too, and I hadn't necessarily planned on this when I first put these notes together, but as I was reviewing and thinking about it, I remembered Romans. Uh, Paul does the same thing in Romans, but he actually does give us a lot more information. We probably today won't have time. In fact, I know we won't have time to go through all of that, um, but we'll probably start that today. <clears throat> but what I'm trying to do without spending too much time on, on context setting um, is, is, is put, our, put our brains back into what's happening, right? Because we're right on the cusp of passion. Right? This is, remember, when he rides into Jerusalem, that is the 10th of the I'm convinced that it is. Okay? That's the day when the father, the head of the household, would select the lamb, the Passover lamb, right? And what a beautiful image it is that here is God the father who has selected his lamb, right? John tells us, John the Baptist, right at the beginning of the gospel. John the Baptist pointed at him and said, behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And so so here's God the Father on the 10th of Nisan presenting to his family their Passover lamb, right? And he comes to the house, and he stays there for several days. John, the other Gospels do a good job of explaining all of that, giving some, there's a lot of content, and we'll see that in Mark when we get there. There's a lot of content that happens in just those two, three, maybe four days, depending on how you kind of want to slice it. Okay, um, three, three and a half, maybe four days, where Jesus keeps coming back. Apparently, he stayed in Bethany in, at nighttime, and then he came back in the morning and would do some more teaching and more healing. And that's when they were—that's when the leaders were really confrontational with him, you know, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and the, and the, and the um, Herodians, right? And, and, and these these groups that all try to knock him down and he keeps answering them, putting them in their place, right? And then all the woes, you know, uh, Matthew 23, uh, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, all of those predictions of the tearing down of the temple and then his second coming, all of that happens during this time. John doesn't cover any of that um, because that's already done. What he does do, though, is he gives us, and this is the last notes that we were on just before this, um, <clears throat> gives us uh, some insight into uh, generally what what is being said there, right? So that would be verse 24, for example. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, uh, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit, right? And he's the example of that, but that's also something, that's the way of the cross. That's, that's, that's a pattern for for how God advances his kingdom through, of course, the work of the Lord, but also all of us as well. All of his followers follow that pattern, right? Where we lay down what we want so that God can use us to reach other people and bring a harvest in, okay? And uh, and so that's where we've been. Uh, we're starting here with verse um, 37, okay? And um, what I was, what we went through last time on your notes there Jesus was uh, God's Messiah not what the Jews expected very important that we keep that in mind not even his disciples at this point really understood what he was doing right? they're convinced he's the Messiah they got that right but they've all been told from the time they were a little bitty thing growing up in synagogue and coming to the temple three times a year and you know for for the major feasts that the messiah when he comes is going to be he's going to bring the kingdom and it's going to last forever and he's going to he's going to conquer the romans and he's going to to put israel on top and he's going to usher in the golden age and more importantly <coughs> he's going to establish finally fulfill the covenants that God gave to their forefathers, right? So remember, Israel's never been in the full land, extent of land. If you go back and read the full extent of land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants, they've never had that, only a small fraction of it, okay? Even under Solomon, the greatest extent, it's still mm-hmm. not even close, okay? So they're, you know, the size going come, they're gonna bring all, he's gonna bring all that land, he's gonna reverse the curse, all the nations are gonna come bring their wealth into Jerusalem And all of this, that's what they are told. But here's this Messiah who's saying,
0: I'm gonna be lifted up, meaning I'm gonna be crucified, right? That's a euphemism, just fiction. And then why? Huh? (laughs) Okay. All right. So
1: he wasn't, so we talked about that. That he's he is he is um, not the messiah that the Jews were expecting. So that's the next point on your. And if you're watching your notes here, okay, front page of your notes. The next major section there says John's Old Testament quotations. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you understand why I put all this together the way I did. Okay? If he's not the Messiah that we were told to expect, then what kind of Messiah is he? Okay. What kind of deliverer is he? And, and and is this is is God thwarted by the nation saying no, we will not have this man to reign over us. His blood be on us and on our children, right? Is is God's plan for the Messiah stopped at that point? That's a very important question because the Old Testament, God's word says He's going, when the Messiah comes, he's going to do all of this, right? He's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. I believe also the, the lesser-known uh, priestly covenant that was given to Aaron's grandson. That's another topic. Not everybody agrees with that, and that's okay. Uh, but anyway, he's, the point is that he's going to fulfill all those Old Testament scriptures, right? And that's all nice and glorious. So well, what kind of Messiah is this? So that's why I put this section down here. And that's where we are, is that when we, as we study the Gospels, right, we're in Mark uh, as well, Larry's leading we us
0: to Mark in the evenings,
1: um, <clears throat> and as we read all four Gospels, they quote the Old Testament Scriptures a lot, right, especially Matthew. You can see that on your second page there, that little table summary of how many times the Gospels, all four of them, quote from the Old Testament, Okay. Look how many times Matthew, that's 54. Right? Mark is 27. Luke comes in third place with 25. John is in last place with 14. Sum all that up, that's, that's over 100 quotations in the four Gospels
0: uh, <clears throat> from the Old Testament Scripture. So what? Well, I'll tell you why so what. Because they've got to show... That this has been God's
1: plan all along. Okay? That Israel did not understand what to look for in the first coming of their Messiah. Even though it was prophesied in many scriptures. Okay? They missed it. And so that's what the Gospels are doing. And of course, it's not limited to the Gospels. Uh, I I was going back and reviewing Romans again. And I was just like, especially... You know, chapters 9 through 11, Paul in there is quoting from Old Testament Scripture. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, there's a lot of quotations back to the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament is foundational to understanding what God is continuing to do in the New Testament. And I'll get off this rabbit trail in a minute. But, you know, it's interesting because so many churches today and many uh Pastors, many sermons, they don't talk talk much, if at all, about the Old Testament. You know, it's there, but it's kind of this mysterious book, so we don't really talk much about it. How are you going to understand the New Testament, which is a continuation of, and it's the structure built on the foundation laid in those scriptures that were given before the coming of the Lord, right? How are you going to... Um, So maybe there's a point to be made here, but uh, especially, you know, I I think we've kind of, at least in, in, in Christianity in this country, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but we've sort of lost our Jewish roots. We forget, because the church today is so thoroughly Gentile, I think we forget that we have these Jewish roots, you know, that the Lord made all these covenants and he hasn't forgotten them and, and the, the the messiah his future timetable that we look we talk about ourselves you know we're looking forward to war coming back and everything well so much of that is keyed in on the nation israel that's the trigger when they when they when they finally realize who he is and as a nation call out to him in repentance and say
0: forgive us right that's what he'll return. Okay? And that's all in, 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 in Isaiah 53. I love
1: what John said about when we went, John MacArthur went through that series when he did, preached on that. He was talking about it. It's a prayer that's recorded in the past that the nation's going to pray in the future when they look back to the cross. I love that. Okay? And he's right. Um, so anyway, that, that's more than I want to say. But these old testament quotations are important because we need to understand the thinking process that the disciples and later the apostles as well as their associates went through in resolving this conflict in their thinking well if he wasn't the messiah we were told to expect then did god miss the boat right or or maybe Maybe Jesus got thwarted or he was a victim of circumstance. He was overwhelmed in the garden when over 200, we haven't gotten to chapter 18 yet, but when, when all of these soldiers and professional guards come and arrest him, maybe he was just overwhelmed by circumstances and he got swept up and a few people in the Sanhedrin hated him. And the next thing you know, he's on a cross and God's plan is thwarted. They have to answer that,
0: right? Because anyone who sincerely believes Jesus is the Messiah would really be wondering about that. All right, I've been talking a lot here. Any thoughts about that?
3: About
2: why people don't talk about the Old Testament? I know it's because it's kind of, I've tried to read some of the Old Testament, and it's kind of bloody and gutty. You know, all these wars and people dying, and, and, you know, I just don't want to read about that. I don't want to read about all these wars and and people getting hacked up. And, you know, I just don't want to hear about that. It's not pleasant. I want to learn. I want to know about Jesus and that Jesus healed people and that Jesus loves us. That's all I care about. I don't really care about all that war and blood and guts.
0: There's more no, than those. Yeah, well,
2: I guess I need to read the parts that don't include read that. the
0: <laughs> Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm I'm trying to be mean or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you how I feel. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
3: There
0: Anybody are. else some. have
3: any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, wow. uh-huh. well, I wonder why. I'm like, um, oh, okay. And another thing about the Old Testament. I mean, I've tried to read it a couple times, and I get into like all the laws and all the stuff. It's like, you know, and then <laughs> like the dimensions of the ark, like, okay, when they're a the ark of the covenant into how everything had to be. So, I and mean, I know there was a reason why God put all those things in there. Then there's that Leviticus book yeah. that goes on and That you know, <laughs>
0: Leviticus. Leviticus
3: book, you know, if you, if your oxen does this, then such and such, and if this does this, then such and such, and this does this, such and such and such. And I know you get, you, I understand, or you do, you get bogged down and then you go, oh, I'm gonna read my Bible today. Uh, it's gonna,
0: I'm not gonna it's not gonna have anything for me to go on the rest of the day. How about the book of numbers? Yeah, oh my goodness, the that. book
3: of numbers, yeah, that's right there with that book of Leviticus.
4: Yeah, Can I say something on the other side? <laughs> Please uh, I think if if we all had a good understanding in our heads of the overall story. Of the Old Testament, I mean. Several years ago, I did a um, monologue as a sermon um, um, about telling the story of the Old Testament from the very beginning right up to Malachi, in chronological order. Yeah. But it was it was a it was a uh, it was an, uh, the purpose of it was to help uh, the people get a good grasp of the story. What happened next in the major highlights of the Old Testament? And then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And I think, and I did that also at another time uh, with it using PowerPoint. Uh, but anyway, I, I think if we had a better grasp of the overall story of the Old Testament and how all these individual books fit in with the overall story, I think it would make a lot more sense mm-hmm. to
1: us. I agree. It, it, it isn't organized by chronology. No. Yeah. And that can be quite confusing if you don't know how or why it's organized. But you can buy a, a Bible in chronological order at okay. the bookstore. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Uh, By the way, the the gospel accounts largely are chronological, but as we discovered when we talked about that um, uh, story of of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, Matthew Mark, if you're not paying careful attention, it seems like it's out of chronology with John, but John is the one that puts it in chronological order. Matthew and Mark use it a little bit later, reflecting back to an event that happened. Past. <clears throat> so the Gospels sometimes do that too, a little bit, but not exactly in chronological world all the time. <clears throat> but it, it very much helps, and I think in our, maybe uh, because of the way our education system works, you know, we're taught history that way. We're taught history in a very chronological mm-hmm. fashion. I'm not sure that, that, that they, uh, the Eastern mind, that they would have learned their history that way. And maybe that's part of why the way it is. Ezra, I learned this recently. Ezra's the one that organized, apparently was one of the major ones that you, we would call it today an editor, if you will, that pulls together the organization of the canon we understand that. Okay, and that's post Babylon,
0: uh, uh, the, the exile in Babylon,
1: right? Right. That's after that, and they're building Jerusalem in the Second Soon Temple. After that, yeah, yep. So, anyway. Boy, there's a, that we could go down that trail a long way, but but the point is the point is that uh, that it's important to establish the fact that Jesus was not, and John particularly, when I like to say when we get into chapter eighteen particularly, Jesus is going to real uh, John is going to really show, I seem to make a real point of the fact that Jesus is in control. He's not a victim of circumstances. Yes, he is the Messiah. And no, he wasn't overwhelmed by this great force of combined force of Roman and uh, soldiers and Jewish temple guards going to arrest him, which was at least 200, possibly more, three or 400 people came to arrest him. John really makes a point of stressing that. Why? Because of this problem. So we're seeing John here in this in this text. Uh, help us, he takes time, he sort of pauses his, his um, gospel at this point to address this issue. And that's really where we are, okay? Uh, in terms of, <clears throat> of what John is doing. And you can see that in verse 37, particularly where he says, though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Right? John, John just anticipates. He knows what's going through the mind of his audience, especially his Jewish audience. Uh, they're, they're they're just like look, John. I, I I hear you about the signs and all the things that Jesus said and did were wonderful. But why why didn't he fulfill those Old Testament scriptures we were expecting him to fulfill? And so John pauses at this point to help us understand that. Um, you can read the rest of um, of of what's here in terms of you know the quotations that overlap with this with the synoptics. We, we might come back and. And revisit at least some of that, but you'll notice that um, <clears throat> if you look at this outline, this is the bottom of the second page, uh, where I list all of the quotation references that John makes to the to the Old Testament. There's two parts to that outline, right? First part is Jesus's public ministry, and he refers nine times. Uh, in in, in chapters 1 through 12 and then 5 times he refers to the Old Testament scriptures in the second half his private ministry okay Okay.
0: but if you look at point number 1 there
1: look at where starting at, at letter F that's where the Old Testament quotations really start to pick up you see that? So if you if you're thinking about it, uh, that starts with verse 13 in, our, in our chapter chapter 12. Okay, that is those two passages, chapter 12, verse 13 and 15 relate to Old Testament quotations um, that uh, that are pointing to his triumphal entry. Okay, his presentation to the nation formal, official presentation as um, their Messiah. Okay? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and so and by the way, if you look up at that little table up there, you'll notice that those are also quoted in the other Gospels as well. In reference to that same period of time um, when he comes into Jerusalem riding on that donkey. Okay? The point I'm trying to make is that from letter F on down, The majority of the Old Testament quotations are right in front of us or soon to be. It seems to be that as John is writing his gospel, he's had a few Old Testament quotations, but now it's becoming real. As we turn the corner from his private ministry and the nation, or his public ministry, and the nation has rejected him. It's now ever increasingly more important that he begin to really show us from the scriptures that this is God's plan all along. That this is not just a last minute kind of, uh, oh, oh, man, they rejected the Messiah. What do I do now? Right? No. It's important. You see that? Mm-hmm. So so the, the pace at which he's quoting the Old
0: Testament is picking up. That makes sense?
1: At least that's the way I see it. So that's all I'm trying to say there. All right. Well, we've got about ten minutes or so to start our outline. (laughs) Um, Any any last thoughts on these
0: this part of the notes before we get started on the text? I hope that point is clear. Yes. Okay. Maybe too clear. Okay,
1: Pete, move on. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Oh, I hear my wife. What's this got to do with the text? (laughs) Okay. Um, My Bible here, this Bible in front of me, anyway, starts in the middle, uh, sort of a paragraph break, right in the middle of chapter, uh, uh, sorry, verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, right? So that's probably a good review to remember that that's that is the official end of John's account of the public ministry. Now, verse 37, which we've already read. And let's take point number one first, which is verses 37 through 41. And I've titled this, Rejection of Jesus by the Jews Has Been God's Plan All Along. Right? This is what John is trying to, to, to answer, this burning question. How could they miss their Messiah? Somebody do you want to read those verses for us, please. Verses 37 to 41.
0: This first point on your outline.
2: Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. For who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, this
1: is not a, a comprehensive Case John is very condensed. You notice that you know you can read the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus
0: in you know, 30 seconds if you're really slow. <laughs> okay, their conversation is much longer, guaranteed. Okay,
1: but John is in characteristic, John is very condensed. He, he's going to make his point and then he's going to move on. Uh, what we're going to do, and like I say, is we'll start it probably today, uh, maybe. Um, but we'll we'll also look at Romans where Paul expands greatly on this. Paul adds a lot to his understanding. this understanding. There's is a connection I didn't see right away until I noticed that that quotation in verse 38 is also qu- quoted by Paul in Romans. And so we have a touch point between this passage here, <coughs> John, and what Paul has to say about the same topic in Romans. Okay? And so we'll use that as a, as a springboard to, to get into Romans, probably like I said, probably next time in more detail. Okay, But let's look at verse 37. We'll start there. Though he had done so many signs before them, uh, they did not believe in him. <clears throat> um, this... What does this tell us
0: about the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed?
2: And it's supposed to be a sign to the Jews.
0: That's right.
2: And they didn't get A, a sign, sign of what? That he is an Messiah.
0: That was his credentials. Credentials. Yeah. Um, I'm what they call a cessationist. I Imagine. Everybody. What's that? What's everybody here? I, I, that, I I'll be no, honest. No, good for you. We heard oh, that on the, on the trip, but that's
1: okay. And I'm glad you asked that because I was about to tell you anyway, And if you didn't know. Um, uh, I believe that these miraculous signs that Jesus and the apostles and their associates and even some of the early church folks performed, like gifts of healing, tongues, um Prophecies that are like direct words from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, okay. That that was part of the early stages of formation in the church, and when the apostles, even before they died out, that was already fading out. That's a whole other uh, topic altogether. But this is one of the verses that give us a pretty strong clue as to why God. It introduced this huge just tidal wave of, of miracles that Jesus particularly and then his followers shortly after were doing in that area. You know, um, miracles in the Old Testament are pretty rare. They happen, but they're pretty rare.
2: Turn off the donkey talking.
1: <laughs> That's what I say. I didn't say it didn't happen. I'm just saying that. And by the way, let's define what a miracle is, too. Right? That's important. Always define your terms. Uh, Dad's done a good job of this on belabored point, but you know, when he I think he's used illustration of you go out and you see a sunset, and isn't that a miracle, right? Well, a sunset's not a miracle. A sunset is beautiful and it, it displays the glory of God and the creativity of God, but it's not, it's a miracle is a violation of the laws of physics. Okay? You can't explain it any other way than to say. There is somebody here doing something that has authority over physics. (laughs) Okay. Raising the dead is authority over physics. Okay. Uh, Walking on the water, a liquid water, not frozen, right? But liquid water is authority over physics. Okay. Healing somebody instantly of leprosy or regrowing limbs, uh, opening the eyes of the blind uh, right then on command. And not that they're kind of blurry and have to go to the eye doctor for the next year to, you know, Finish up therapy or something, right? But to finish it right there and it's completely, um, it's completely uh, healed, and you don't have to come back for seconds the next day. Um, that is a miracle. Okay, that's what we mean, and that's what John. John uses the word signs here uh, to indicate this purpose, right? He doesn't say miracles. He done so many miracles. He did signs. So that they would believe, right? But John is presenting this conundrum. He's like, look. And notice he doesn't say, you know, though he'd done so many signs and preached so many great messages, okay? I mean, the message of the gospel that Jesus was giving was, was clear and it was, it was precise. And we're looking at that too. It's the same message that John the Baptist had given, which is repent, right? kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare the way of the Lord in your heart. Get ready for him. Okay? Um, But John doesn't reference any of the great sermons that Jesus gave. He just simply focuses in on the signs. And he says, the nation should have known this was their Messiah based on the avalanche of miracles that came. Right? Which tells us that the purpose, God's purpose of unleashing the Holy Spirit's power in such a profound and obvious way was to point to Jesus as the Messiah. That's the whole point. And after he's been affirmed and confirmed, and then the apostles also in the doctrine they were teaching and the establishment of the church, and the fact that the gift of tongues primarily was assigned not to the Gentiles that they were being filled with the Holy Spirit, but if you remember your story in Acts 8, I think it is, right? With Peter, he has that vision of the sheet coming down and he says, go to Cornelius' house and Cornelius and his whole family, or the people that are gathered there start speaking in tongues. What is that? That's a confirmation to Peter and the others who are with him, the Jews, that God is also pouring the Holy Spirit out on Gentiles in the same way, uncircumcised Gentiles, on the same way that he's doing it on Jews and Samaritans who are half-Jews. Right? Mm-hmm. That there is no barriers in God's church anymore. That He's opening the doors of salvation to the Gentiles as well. That's the purpose of that sign. That's what it was for. What the
2: miracles? Mm -hmm. Oh, because He healed
1: the Gentiles too. It's for the Jews. If you want a proof text of that, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? So Paul is laying out, he's saying, look, the Jews the Jews were expecting when Messiah would come
0: would be all these miracles, right? Well, that's what they got.
2: Well, why, why didn't they figure
1: it
0: out then? Good question! I'm glad you asked. Because that's exactly
1: what, that's what John is trying to do, right? He's trying to whet our appetite so that so that you know, if you haven't gotten it at this point, that's a very blunt statement. He'd done so many signs before them, and they still believe. And you're going to anybody's paying any attention at all is going to be like, well, that doesn't make sense, right?
0: So he's going to answer that. Okay. Well, yeah. they didn't believe because Isaac said that they close their eyes. And that's right. It's God's plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So look at the next verse, right? So that the word. Spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard? Who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm
0: of the Lord been revealed? Well, where is that found? It's on your notes. Right there, okay.
2: Yeah,
0: Isaiah
1: 53, okay. Um, anybody here ever heard of Isaiah
0: 53?
1: <laughs> Sometimes known as the fifth gospel, right? Actually, unfortunately, when when the chapters and verses were put into our Bible, I, I think they made a mistake. At that. That's not inspired by the way, so we can call that into question. Well, let's look back there real quick and let's just take a, we won't go through this whole thing, obviously, but I want to show you, it really should start with, with verse, um, with verse 13 of 52. That's where 53 ought to really be. <laughs> Behold, my servant will act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be, oh, there's that term lifted up. Hmm And shall be exalted. He was lifted up, all right, right, but not in the way they thought. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations; kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for for that which has been uh, has not been told them. they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. And here's our verse. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay. And he grew up before him as a tender shoot, right? Um, we, he was wounded for our transgressions, verse 5. Our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, verse 6, right? He was oppressed and afflicted, verse 7, um, and so forth. <clears throat> very familiar passage, right? We've, we've been through that a number of times. A lot of times, too, when, when, when the Old Testament, or sorry, when, when uh, the New Testament quotes <clears throat> Old Testament, what they're doing is they are, they, are um, they won't quote the whole thing. They'll quote like part of it, okay? So, for example, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first opening lines of Psalm 22. What he's doing is he's using a handle. Anybody who knows that psalm will hear that. Oh, and they'll go back and read the whole psalm. You're supposed to read the whole psalm. What Jesus is doing is effectively quoting that whole psalm in reference just through those couple of lines. And that's what what John is doing here. And and we know that because of verse, verse 41 where he says, Isaiah said these things when he saw his glory and spoke of him. All right. Um, well, well, who is he talking about? He's talking about all of that whole section of John, or sorry, of Isaiah 53, of this servant of Jehovah who is wounded for our transgressions, right? And 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 all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, right? And, and, and it's, it's all pointing to him. Even though John doesn't quote the whole chapter there, his, his intention is to recall all of that to your mind. So and let me finish at this point, and we'll pick up here next time. The point of all of this is that this is God's plan all along. And that's what John is saying in verse 38. So that the word spoken by the Isaiah by Prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, and he can, he quotes from there, and then he quotes in verse 40 as well from another place in, in Isaiah. Right? So the point is, it is God's plan all oh. along. What we'll do next time is we will um, we'll look at that second quotation, and then we'll look at what Paul says about this in Romans and explore that a little bit more. Okay or I should say review that, because if you were here for our time in Romans, we spent a lot more time with that, but uh, there's way more to say there than I have time right now. Uh, any thoughts as
0: we close?
3: I think as well as I'm um, really looking forward to seeing Jesus, Dad was really looking forward to sitting down with Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How about that? Dad did a lot of referencing to the book of Isaiah. That's funny. Yeah. And Dad was always thankful, that.
0: God um, opened the doors of
1: salvation to the Gentiles. Amen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's us. That's us. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that as, as I was reviewing Romans
0: and, and putting down some notes for, for us to go through. That's right. All right. Let's close in prayer.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you that this gospel of the kingdom,
0: this covenant of eternal life, because of your redemptive work in the lives
1: of your people, we thank you that this is not limited to those who are ethnic Israel. We thank you that it is open to all ethnicities. Even as you told Abraham, by your seed singular, All the nations will be blessed. And we are testament. We are are one of many, many, many examples of how that is true. How here we are 2,000 years later, fulfilling scripture in a sense that we just read. Because we exalt him and we look to him as our savior, and as our messiah this one that was prophesied thousands of years before he came, uh, even back to the first man and and first woman, the seed of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent. And we look to him, uh, and, and, and we long for the day when the nation also, as a nation, will mourn for him and will call on him. He will return and fulfill the rest of these Old Testament covenants and prophecies. In the meantime, help us, as as Eric rightly said, to be students of the Scriptures, to learn the grand scope of what what is here, and to learn to appreciate our Old Testament, to learn to appreciate the roots of our faith in the covenants that were given long ago, I and mean, the stories and the prophecies and the histories that are there, which on the surface, don't make a lot of sense to us, but have direct impact on not only our present time, but especially our future. And so I pray you would open your word to us. Thank you for this time. Apply it. Bring it to down to where we live today.
0: Transform us in more like Amen. your son, whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.